Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 502. I want to thank you all for tuning in and for all the love for the Ask Pip episode last week. And for the the, the big episode 500, the two-parter, the week before. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. In episode 500, one of the episodes I think that was mentioned... Um, or maybe it was in the Ask Pip, as one of the classics, was an early episode I did with Saul Williams. Well, today I sat down, or for today's episode, a a few days ago I sat down with Saul Williams and Anissia Uziman um, and had one of the best conversations I've had on the podcast. Um, It was astounding, and it was a a time I really needed it as well. Um, honestly, I ended this conversation just so uh, mentally enriched, mentally charged. It's an interesting one, man, because I can consider Saul a friend, and now in this year, hopefully, but Saul is someone who has always um, intimidated me through no fault of his own. I'm a big fan of Saul's work, and Saul... I've said it numerous times, Saul Williams, Sage Francis, a few others were the big inspirations for me starting music and spoken word. And I've gigged with Saul. We got interviewed together in Texas once. And in December, in fact, when Saul had the the film, which a lot of this podcast is talking about, the film he and Anissia created, Neptune Frost, out in the UK... I went over, because I was an associate producer on it, I went to a screening that had a QA and a with them and I met up with Saul and Anissia. And on the drive there, I was nervous. And every time we hang out, it's a joy. (laughs) The nerves are completely unwarranted or the intimidation is completely unwarranted. But this was a prime example of that. And yeah, one of the things we talk about, like we talk about a lot of things, at the end... Saul gives one of the best hip-hop anecdotes I've ever heard, and I'd never heard it before either. You know, I'm tempted to clip it and do a little text video or or, or whatever. Like, you know, a lot of the rap accounts have on Instagram. It'll be like a little a video of a classic story because it's really good. But one of the things they're here to talk about, or the primary thing, is the film that Anissa and Saul co-created co-directed Neptune Frost and as as I mentioned I came on as an associate producer quite early on that had very little input but as a lot of you know it made my films of the year it blew me away I went in not knowing what to expect and was absolutely astounded so yeah I wanted to talk to them both I went I went to this screen and it was the first time I'd I'd seen it I, I had been sent a screener link but I wanted to watch it on the big screen because it's something I was very excited about and very proud to have played some small part in. So I wanted to watch it on the big screen. So I watched it and was astounded. And then there was a and a afterwards with Saul and Anissia and that blew me away as well. So instantly I was like, we need to do a podcast. And it's taken a minute, but we held off a bit because it is now available in the UK on demand services. So it will be on your Apple, on your Amazon Prime um, on Sky, on all these places, it's available to, to to rent or purchase all these kind of things. 
And I think after you hear this, you're going to just be itching to go and give it a look because I truly think it's something special. It was in like the one of the New York Times films of the year list things. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's an important film and a joyride of a film. So yeah, we're here to talk about that, but it's so it's Anissia. So we talk about society and we talk about culture and we talk about authority and we talk about nations and and all sorts of things it's 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 a hell of a conversation i'm going to stop rambling as you can tell i was genuinely this honestly i'm <laughs> i'm not going into any details but, but there was a bit of a conversation that me and saul had before we started recording and just this whole conversation it it couldn't have come at a better time man as I said, I felt enriched at the end of it. I hope you do too. We are brought to you as ever by com. That's where you can get all my music stuff and merch. And and there's my, my Edinburgh Fringe live show. You can get a digital download of that. It's a spoken word show. So if you've come here as a fan of spoken word, it got mainly five-star reviews. It got all five and four-star reviews at the Fringe, and it sold out for the whole 19-day r- r- run. So you can buy that on DVD that's got loads of extra bonus footage and interviews, or you can get the digital download. And you can get merch and all sorts of other stuff. Anyway, we're also brought to you by patreon.com forward slash Pipio and twitch.tv forward slash Pip. But fuck all that. <laughs> Just go and rent... Neptune Frost as soon as you can it's really something special Um, yeah let's get into this this is episode 502 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Saul Williams and Anissia Uziman get into it i'm here with saul williams and anissia uziman how are you both uh we're good yes <laughs> it's good to see you both we got to briefly connect uh when you were in london uh, with neptune F- frost and you guys have been all over the place uh, uh, since right i think i saw some stuff going on in in canada in a couple of days i think so are you are you on the move a lot at the moment well the film is certainly on the move. We yeah. we haven't been moving with the film as much after its initial, you know, release in certain territories. So, yeah. we, you know, we followed it um, on part of the festival run. And then, yeah, when it was released in places like the UK, um, the French release is still coming up in, in May. And uh, we'll probably accompany that. You know, and so yeah, yes and no. Like we're really shifting gears and transitioning into like writing and developing for you know future works. I feel you. I feel. You. Does that allow you to kind of step away from the world a little bit? Because because when I ask how are you, it's something I truly mean. Because it's a really weird time with a lot of good stuff happening with the film and with so many different artistic endeavors, but just some dark times as well if you're looking at america and the actions of the police out there against members of the black community and then you look in the uk and we're having police forces it was recently found that the the biggest serial rapist of recent history was a police officer Mm -hmm. and was part of the police force and we're finding 
murderers in our police force as well. And I always feel people who have lived in different countries and lived in different places, it's a different lens with which to be be looking at these things unfolding. So how are you in the context of all of this this madness? (sighs) Holding in there, I think... Yeah. Um, I think we feel yeah. we are feeling what you what you are saying. Yeah, uh, the beginning of the year was pretty intense, pretty toxic. <laughs> um, mm. That's what I feel about the full situation. That there is a a prevalence of toxicity um, in uh, yeah. in every corner of this world, um, and uh, yeah, we are just trying to remain focused and gathered and you know how do you reverse that thing in order for you to have a a, a positive output to it you know that's I think the most difficult how do you transform all those um, energies uh, that are exhausting (laughs) and that are um, alarming etc etc into new breath and new strength and you know how can you be of service with with that so i i feel you when you said yeah the year yeah it's a pretty crazy moment and you've expressed that perfectly because one of the things that astounded me about neptune frost is it's discussing really heavy really serious really dark subjects but it is a joy to watch and 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 to be part of it doesn't feel heavy and and oppressive it's it, it really feels like you've found a way to talk about these things in a productive way in a in an artistic way so yeah i completely relate to what you're saying it's also weird watching a lot of these things again particularly in america and the uk i know you guys have spent a lot of time in f- france and being in the uk being so close to france and knowing that in france when the people aren't happy with actions of the government or actions of the authorities, they stand up and they protest, or they stand up and they and, and or they take action. And I think it's really weird being in and from a country that you know France has a history of uh, of revolution, whereas England has a history of of praising our conquering leaders, kind of thing, and clapping them as they return on their boats and whatnot. So. It's it's interesting to see America and the UK in recent years go through horrific things and so many people just putting out a tweet or putting out an Instagram post and just getting on with their lives. Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess, how how is it? As, as people who've lived in France <laughs> and spent, obviously, a, a lot of your lives in France, how is that to to witness and, and, and digest, I guess? You know, I think in terms of friends... I think it 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 also has uh, its dangers, you know, to be sitting on mm-hmm. a history that is revolution. And I think everywhere uh, for now in this world, there is a part of the world that has to work uh, a little harder on their behavior, you know, on their attitude uh, towards poverty, towards everything, actually towards gender, towards religion. So, I mean, we can go on and on and on. And in Neptune Frost, we are trying to tackle some of those subjects. And I do think that it's uh, global. I don't think that there is a place, certainly not in the Western world, that is immune to the huge crisis that we have right now uh, in terms of violence and neocolonialism and diminishing 
women and gender and all of this, you know. Um, so no, France is not immune at all. Uh, to the contrary, mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> it's funny because um, so maybe you 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 can um, talk a little bit about how, for instance, the the studies that are banned now here started by being banned in France. In France. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, I would say that France has has big problems, you know, mm-hmm. just like, as Anisia said, so many countries in the Western world and so many countries influenced by the Western world, you know, the here in the States, one of the big movements going on, you know, they call it anti-woke now and they call it critical race theory, um, all of these terms, mm-hmm. right, that just have to do with the fact that we are realizing that if we do not acknowledge the truths of history as we move forward, we run the risk of repeating history. And you have those who fight against their children being taught history because of the fact that they don't want them to feel sad. They don't want white children to feel guilty. So that's a movement here in the States, for example. I'm sure you've heard about it in states like Florida and Texas, where they've Mm -hmm. actually been successful with banning books, banning books in 2023. Can you imagine? Yeah, those those movements were actually heralded by by French intellectuals, you know, five years ago. And many things in France, we'd say, oh, they get it three or five years late, you know. And in that sense, because of their sense of universalism and their relationship to the question of identity politics, um, they pushed that to the back real quick, like, no, 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 anti-colonialism. We encountered that with Neptune Frost when we were at the Cannes Film Festival specifically, where a French distributor was like, how do you expect me to go to an exhibitioner, someone who owns a theater, and say that I have an African film that talks about anti-colonialism? How do you expect me to ha- to distribute this film in France? This was a French man speaking about speaking to other French exhibitors saying, what's wrong with you? How do you think I could sell this film? You know, and even wow. that notion of revolution in France, um, I would say that more credit belongs with the Haitians, you know, for the idea of revolution and for the idea of democracy, you know, and how that idea spread throughout the world and, and how they tried to gatekeep they being those who did not want those ideas to spread because they wanted to continue to capitalize and exploit, you know, um, the unheralded masses, uh, as continues today in South America, in America, across, you know, uh, across the world obviously on the continent, obviously in the subject matter of Neptune Frost. So, you know, for me, the way I look at it is is what Neptune Frost is doing is, first of all, you know, I mean, obviously, like, when you look at the images of Neptune Frost, when you look at the subjects, the subject matter, the people in Neptune mm-hmm. Frost, and, 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 I, and, and, and I'm just going to play with this a little bit as a poet in, in, in pointing out that you say these are dark times, I say, not dark enough, in fact, because I don't associate darkness with the evil. Yeah, yeah. You understand yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. We are yeah. not afraid of the dark. We glow in the dark like those in the deepest sea, you know? And that yeah. glowing is what you see in Neptune Frost. And I believe that it's our association of that darkness with evil that has allowed the continual exploitation, one, of darker people on this planet, but of the poor and then and then, yeah, Anisia and I were speaking earlier and she had said something about, you know, like, what world are we living in when when people are 
outspokenly in love with billionaires. Yeah. You know? It's absolutely mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Like, where are our actual values? You know? So I think that in answer to the question, how are you? It's <laughs> <laughs> a big question, man. <laughs> we are dark and luminous. Uh, we yeah. we are taking every step that we can to stay clear, to stay focused, to not get caught up in any of the the nonsensical behavior or or foolish behavior that that even aligns itself with, you know, because there's movements of like false critical thinking as well that I think they call it independent thinkers. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, you know, there's so much craziness. Independent of fact. Yeah, yeah. Independent of undeniable truth. The only thing you are not independent of is your... Is your patriarchal allegiance, you know? You are never independent of that, it seems. But yeah, yeah, it's a wild time to be alive. I I can't imagine a time that wasn't. But what's crazy, I guess, is the fact that we live in these times with so much information available to us. Mm -hmm. And yet we see, obviously, people propagating craziness. Yeah. And are forced to deal with it. It becomes, my, I remember during or throughout the pan, pandemic talking to my brother about that exact subject and his outlook was certain areas of ignorance in this situation are unforgivable because <laughs> the information is so readily available. Like his his argument to me was, and it was harsh at one point, he said this <laughs> to my parents who are wonderful people, but he's like, we're six months into this pandemic. Do you know what a virus is? And he's like, well, it's kind of, it's a thing that like, and and people didn't have the definition and explanation of it. And he's like, this is a global thing that's affecting everyone. And people aren't even doing the most basic of scientific and factual research on it. It's like, it's in, in his eyes. And again, I've got to back him to an extent there. It's unforgivable, some of the ignorance in this situation, I think. And that was a particularly powerful one to watch because of the global nature of it. We couldn't sit there like we have in previous things and say, well, our government are trying their best. Our government, it's a tough situation. No one could have done this this better. The pandemic was a unique one where we could go, oh, look, this government did do it better. And these people did do it better. We can't just hide behind that ignorance of, oh, it's a tough time. They're doing the best that they can. It's um, elected ignorance. But I mean, kind of jumping back to something that's uh, Soul said there, there's so much I want to talk about with this film on from the themes to the kind of behind the scenes and the journey of it. But you mentioned blackness, you mentioned glowing in the dark, you mentioned l- luminosity, you mentioned visuals. One of the hardest things for independent films to do is to get people to actually watch them, right? <laughs> it can be the most amazing thing in the world, but if you don't have the marketing budget, it's to get people to watch them. And, and initially, I want to talk to you about just the visuals, because I think the visuals, the stills that have that, that came out, have been a huge part in that marketing campaign, because they look like nothing else, and they look glorious. And the way colours are used in light and in costume, and the way the beauty of dark skin is used as a as a strength not, not as something to 
overcome or or to figure out how to light or make up or any any other nonsense that some films will have uh, you know claimed to have had to overcome how did you decide upon how you wanted things to be presented and everything to look because as i said i think it's one of the most striking first things that gets people through the door to then see everything else that's striking about it Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think you 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 said the the word. I, I wanted to. I wanted it to be glorious. Really, <laughs> it's yeah. one of the things yeah. that I I really uh, was aiming, uh, and I wanted it to be also fair. And you know, for people, it may look like oh my god, it's. But to me, it's it's just being at the level of what's there. It's just you know meeting the story and the actors and the place where they are. And I think they are as beautiful, as complex, as emotional, as th- than what you're going to see on the, on, the, on the screen. I tried to make it mm-hmm. as an equal, as someone that was um, also aware that they are often looked at a little bit like down, you know, <laughs> looked at a little bit diminished, looked at a little bit dimmed, a little bit. <laughs> I'm thinking of a funny, funny clip that is circulating about, you know, African film, <laughs> the stereotype of an African film, you know, and and poverty, etc., 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 which is, I think, um, a little bit, uh, you know, I think there is a lot of, of, of waste around the idea of filming black people or those places. There is a lot, a lot of preconceived ideas and I try to free all of them, all of them. The framing, the color, the realism, the, anything you can think of. I really spent a lot of time unlocking new possibilities and being very mindful of what had been done, what is awaited from that place and what is awaited from a woman, etc., etc. There is a lot of, of things um, at play. And um, when you you start to do that, that work of freedom, really, which is also part of what the film is about, you discover like infinite possibilities that are all more crazy yeah. than the others, but that are very, very interesting, very fun, very compelling, very emotional to do. And so we went that road. We went the road of building our own, you know, gears. We went the road of building our, you know, our own lighting. We, we went the road of many things that were really, how can we preserve the freedom that is in that script? And that's about that. And then otherwise, I've seen this morning that the way bees see flowers is ultraviolet. Yes. Right. Yes. They see it with all those colors. So it's just a question of opening your mind also sometimes. Yeah, I love that. And I really love the the finding the freedom Mm -hmm. of it all. And as said, removing all the restrictions or preconceptions. I think one of the things that struck me when watching it was really early on the restriction of 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 gender is shed and and it's just you know it, it it just becomes this thing that isn't isn't about it's 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 about people and characters rather than his you know it, there is a a love story in there of course but you know it's it's not restricted like so many films are by the 
the overwhelming, overbearing shadow of gender, of 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 sexuality, of all these things. It's it has that freedom. So I think the freedom. I think you're right. That you guys have found is 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 amazing. I think you're right. I think it is a, a character-driven film. Um, maybe mm-hmm. to the surprise of everybody, you know, because often I think on the continent we have um, the main driving is the situation, you know, the the geopolitical drama, the you know the overall mm-hmm. horror or poverty or hunger or whatever. And it is true that uh, in this script, what what I thought was really powerful is that we really had the time to go with every characters and to have mm-hmm. them evolve through the story. I mean, uh, from reading different reviews and descriptions, as said, I think surprise is key to almost everyone going into watching it because <laughs> no one knows what to expect when they're going to see an Afrofuturistic romantic anti-capitalist <laughs> musical you know, <laughs> you know it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of like well i don't know what i'm gonna get you kind of you read that description and go okay well <laughs> let's go and find out right and that's and that's a beautiful thing so, so so can you talk to me a little bit about the journey of it because it's it has been a long time in the making um and it is one that you, you, you know it, it can easily projects can lose their way or not not make it across the finishing line. What was the the catalyst and that early journey and how's it been kind of getting to the end of it? Well, I think the the catalyst initially was Anisi and I wanted to find a project that we could work on together. Yeah. And so that was one. And then individually, I wanted to find a project where I could connect all of the things that I love to do, which is write music, write poetry, and make attempts at storytelling in one cohesive project. And so it was that on one hand, specifically, I guess, you know, we've, we've said before that we met in the process or before, just before working on a, another film that we were both cast in as actors called Te or Aujourd'hui by Alain Gomis. Um, and so while we were in Senegal shooting the film, we made some observations. One of the observations was, um, in seeing, you know, like drum culture is very much alive in Senegal. And so mm-hmm. like seeing a teenage kid run home from school to work on finishing building his drum, right? Yeah. While simultaneously having a smartphone and headphones on while building a drum was like, okay, all of these, you know, that's old world, new world technologies yeah. all combined, you know? And somehow... You know, that was around the same time that Anisi and I were both learning about the existence of e-waste camps, which is where our tech goes to die. Right. You know, um, there are, there are uh, village-like dumps in, in, in many countries, um, many are, of which are on the African continent, where, you know, you go and turn in your old or throw away your old laptop or home computer or blah, blah, blah. Where does it go? It goes to places where scavenger culture is still alive, where people can, you know, pull out the wires, the, upcycle the parts that are reusable. You know, there's lots of of, yeah. of minerals and metals and, and all these things that are reusable within your computer when you throw it away. Um, and so those planes that fly that, that waste, that Western waste many times into these countries are the same planes that fly out the minerals, the cobalt, the coltan that the making of these machines 
are dependent on. And by these machines, I mean our laptops, I mean our smartphones, I mean drones, gaming devices, so much of modern technology. And so, you know, I think the most obvious parallel to make was, was or observation to make was the fact that, you know, because as we were learning about cobalt and e-waste camps, and we were, of course, learning about the people who work in these e-waste camps and the people who work in these Colton mines. And then if you give any consideration to the people, then you go, oh, wow. Okay. So essentially, we have the illusion of technology, of things moving forward and progressing, but the exploitation that's taking place is really old school, is analog, in fact. Yeah. It's it's just, yeah. I mean, and it's not only there. I mean, like we, we hear today about, you know, the movements against people in Amazon unionizing or Tesla unionizing, you know, you want, you order your stuff from Amazon and it seems so easy to scroll on your phone and like, oh, I got it. Peep. I got it. And you don't think that there is a person underpaid in a factory fulfilling your need, driving, working, da, 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 doing all this stuff so that you can have the illusion that it's all robots doing it, you know? And so yeah. that deep dive led to more and more deep dives, more and more wormholes, like like that wormhole of like, there's so many. I mean, I could keep going inspired by the last thing because I said robot and I'm like, and the word robot means slave, um, you know, forced wow. labor. Yeah. Like there's, you know, we just kept on going deeper and deeper. So you ask about the process. How did we keep it alive? Uh, to me, there was never any chance of it losing steam. It did shift form a little bit in that when it was initially born, Anisia and I, both as actors, come from the stage, from theater uh, initially. And I personally really missed the stage and was thinking of this as a musical for the stage. Wow. And so the, the first iteration of this project. We even went to a writer's residency for the idea of the film as a play, as a musical. Uh, We went to the Banff Institute in Canada. Anisia wrote the first draft of um, of the script for the stage. And we shared that draft with a producer, the producer of Fela the Musical, whose name is Stephen Handel, and who is the executive producer of Neptune Frost. But he said at that time, I like this idea. I'd love to invest. But I'd be more excited about investing if it were a film. It seems like a film to me. And so, you know, maybe there was a slight ego moment of myself or, you know, of like, how dare anybody try to tell, you know. (laughs) But actually, the idea of a film seemed really exciting. Yeah, it started. It started to excite you to write a a script, uh, you know, a screen. Uh, Yeah. 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 And it also meant we could shoot on location. I, was gonna, I mean, that's what I was going to say. It seems amazing to imagine there was ever a version of this that the location was a stage rather than Rwanda, which is a you know a, a key character in the in in the piece. How how important was it when you guys had that breakthrough to get out there and to and to find this new character? Essentially, this location, which is suddenly a new character in your in 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 the story you're telling, how was that, and how you know exciting was it to to get out there and 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 work with local people and local artists? I don't think it was a new character. I think no? 
that character was always there. Uh, one of the first songs yeah. that Saul um, composed for this um, story is called Burundi. Burundi is the little country next to Rwanda. Uh, all the drummers in Neptune Frost are Burundian drummers. Um, right. And um, so the that comes from the fact that we exchanged, um, Saul and I, a lot about Rwanda, which is the country where um, I was born. So the digitaria, the imagination of that place, was nourished by stories of Rwanda, yeah. uh, most particularly, right? Um, yes, yeah. And mostly stories... Um, a little bit through the eyes of a child, because those are the memories that I have. So it's it's. Uh, oh, and and I mean another thing that the internet has ruined is oral histories, because we could just look things up now and not have this magical thing in our head. The oral history of a place is can be so yeah, much more beautiful, beautiful and, yeah, yeah. and fruitful. So I don't think that I think it would have been funny to to translate that place on the stage because it would have been um, somehow related to Rwanda anyway. But then to be there, maybe so, that was a turning point, yeah. Yeah, Anisia and I, of course, Anisia many times before, but for me, I went to meet Anisia there in 2016 as we were planning to shoot the sizzle reel and we were going to shoot a sizzle reel um, because we had every intention in 2016 to raise money for investors. So we wanted to shoot like a five-minute kind of trailer um, or three-minute type of trailer to inspire investors and potentially do what we did in 2018, a Kickstarter campaign, right? Yeah. So in, in 2016, I met Anisia there, and we we stayed for about four months that trip, I think. and yeah. Two, two months? Three, three months, uh, I think. Three, and scouted. Drove all around the country. Just uh, for, so there's Anisia's experience of being, you know, home and blah, blah, blah. And then there's my experience of being this kid from New York and going, this is really green. Like, because that, that's the thing, you know, is I don't think most people and, and, and you know, can imagine the greenery, the, the hilly greenery of, yes. of of Rhonda. And so we were, you know, driving around and 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 starting to cast the people that would be in the in the sizzle reel. That's when we met the Himbaza Club, the, the Burundian drummers that play in the film. That's when we met uh Kaya Free, who plays Mataluza. That's when we met mm-hmm. uh Shirley Cheja, who plays Neptune. That's when we met Cedric Mesero. Cedric Mizero, uh, who does the costume design and production design. So we met Eric Wanke, who plays Pitolo. In fact, the majority of our cast we met on that first trip. And so then that brought another element that made it, because each thing made it like, okay, now we have to do this. Like, So there's the thing in 2014 with writing the script for the stage and meeting the producer who's like, I think it's a film. So boo, two years later in Rwanda to shoot the scissor reel, to say, yes, okay, da da And then we meet these cast members, these local artists who are extraordinary. And the scene in Kigali at the time is vibrant and rich. And their excitement surrounding the story That's what. excites us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what decided that we would have to do it. Like, 
yeah. <laughs> we couldn't. We have, had no choice after that. We had that. no choice yeah. because before that, <laughs> we never really talked about it. But I wasn't sure that it was in Rwanda that we could shoot in Rwanda. Personally, I was right. very, you know, uh, hesitant uh, to do it there. And so we had many. We had a few ideas uh, in mind. Um, Around around the region, though, right? Because it's a story about that region. So Ethiopia was there, Kenya was there. I mean, there was, and so we were in Rwanda just also to feel and to see and to to just uh, be uh, on location to to be more, you know, accurate. And then it's really the cast and the crew that really like anchored the project in Rwanda that made it like yeah absolutely uh, necessary to be there. Well, speaking of the cast, I guess, you've got some amazing performers in. And so you touched earlier upon the initial excitement at times as a a writer, as a poet. How was it to kind of submit your writing and your poetry to language? Because there's many languages on display in this film (laughs) and language isn't as simple. I learned really early on because my my mum, as I was growing up, my mum learned sign language and had a lot of deaf friends. And I learned quite quickly that it's not a straight translation. It's not, here's the thing for this word. The the sentence structures are different. There's so much different there. And I didn't know that until then. So now knowing that and knowing... all the different languages in this this f- f- film. How was it for some of the, the the lyrics and the scripts and things like that to kind of be let out into the world to go on their own journey a little bit? And 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 was there interaction and and back and forth with the different artists performing and and all of that kind of thing? That's one of the most exciting elements for me. It remains one of the most exciting elements. It was one of the things I was looking forward to before we got to that point. When I was writing the songs, I knew that, um, and I had my own, like, personal challenges I was playing with in in terms of the music, right? Like for some things, it was like, I need this vibe, I need this feeling, but no beat. I wanted to feel polyrhythmic with no beat. You know, like there was a lot of stuff yeah. I was playing with musically and then learning, but you can feel where the beat is, where you place the voice. But I was so yeah. clear on the fact that these were demos. These are reference tracks that will eventually land in the hands of these artists. And the thing that's amazing about our cast is, you know, everyone is a performer, an artist in their own right. And so they all have relationships to music, to songwriting, to poetry. Of course, the the language and, and traditions and culture of Rhonda is also very much centered around the poetry and the language as well. Um, and so there's something really rich in that connection. Um, and, and so then when we, when we went back to shoot and for pre-production in 2019 is when we began the translating process. And so for, we worked with, you know, different groups of translators, like for the dialogue and with the music, worked specifically with musicians and with particular uh, songs, I worked specifically with the musician that would be singing it because they were a musician already, because they were a rapper, because they were a singer, because they they would have to say the words and they had their own relationship to language, you know, um, to their own language. And so we would wrestle a little bit with, with the, you know, like they'd say, okay, well, I would kind of say it like this, but it kind of means this. 
you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the main person initially that was helping me translate music was um, Eric Wunke, who plays Pitolo, um, who's right. an extraordinary poet and musician. And so I had his translations to go by, but then they had to pass the test of the individual character slash artist who was playing the role who would say, I wouldn't say it like this. I would say it like this, you yeah. know? Or this is in Kinyaranda. I feel like it should be in Kirundi. You know, and, you know, they would find that little twist so that the main thing that became important was for me that I was like, I would just be like, ah, ah, vocal placement, vocal placement. Just land this here. This has to rhyme and you need to land here, here, not on the one behind the one before, you know, like just trying to make sure that the groove as I felt it stayed intact. So I was just like the guardian of the groove as I felt it. And once they got that, some, you know, more quickly than other, because of course my sense of rhythm is 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 also different, Americanized, Westernized. There's so much, you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's a beautiful communication that goes on just in terms of rhythm, you know? And so, but once we found, you know, we call that the pocket. Once they found the pockets, yeah, it was whew, you know, some like Kaya Free, who plays Matalusa, is it has an extensive career as as a rapper from Burundi. You know, he has albums. He has a recent album that came out, and and so Kaya, I remember him translating into French. Think like they book say, you know. And by that mm-hmm. night, like we have video of him rapping it, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like it, it. It's magical how these moments came together. Really, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I'm I'm going to start a petition immediately for a new edit of the film to come out. That's exactly the same, but in the credits, you're added a credit as guardian of the groove, <laughs> um, officially, officially listed, officially. Uh, I think as, I think I'd have to fight with the Himbaza Club for that. Yeah. They might own that because the Himbaza Club provides a groove to the film that that is the bookmarks of the film right you know yeah. the 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 first music you really hear is is you know right there in that opening scene at the mine and then yeah. the closing scene and and so what they brought and i think to me that's probably one of the most brilliant things we could have ever thought of or done um and thank goodness we did that is by making our ensemble an existing group of drummers so yeah. that their synergy between each other, they perform yeah. regularly. They perform every weekend. It's already there. It's already yeah. there, you know? Yeah. They already have a camaraderie camaraderie with rhythm. So it's already there. Yeah? So you could just feed a little lyrics, whatever, and they're like, oh, they got it. They're ready. Yeah. And it was just like, whoo. So on set, Mm-mm. we were, you know, mm. always lit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this plays perfectly into something that, as I said, I came to that screening in Brixton, was blown away. And I'd say I was about an hour into my journey home when this particular realisation hit me. And it really floored me. Um, You guys took this film very much on the road. Like You came out with the different releases and did Q&As and did all sorts of appearances. And in one of my... First American tours, I was supported by a guy called B. Dolan, amazing performer, amazing poet, amazing rapper. He came on tour with us in the UK, built a great audience. The first time he did a headline tour in the UK, he put on a show called The Church of Love and Ruin, and he brought 
um, a, a marching band called the What Cheer Brigade. He bought burlesque performers, all from his local area, all all from his local thing. And it really floored me because it was like, right, this was your big chance of a headline tour. And what you've rather done is gone, look at all these other fuckers I've got. And that struck me with the... Film. I went to see Saul and Anissia's film. I was excited, and 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 I know what you guys are capable of. And what I saw was you going, look at all this talent. Look up on the screen and look at these amazing rappers and performers who I had never seen or heard of any of them sitting over here in a small town in England. And it felt like those kind of promotional tours almost were you guys going check all this talent out that we want to bring over to you guys. And if we need to be there to to get you in the room, then cool. But we're here to point in awe, you know. So how was that to to take the all these amazingly talented musicians around Europe, around America, and into, into people's consciousness? Hmm. Well, you know, what you're saying is completely right in terms of we were pointing at that talent and saying, yes. Look at this. Look at them. Let's celebrate them. The other side of that is that, you know, it was excruciating to go through the process of the realities of what our cast members, the majority of whom live in Rhonda, face just in terms of getting visas to come to any of these great events. For every major event that we had, we worked towards bringing our actual cast we had dreams of our can premiere of having the Himbaza Club, you know, the drummers playing. Yeah. yeah. As soon as the film ended, like, you know, we had this amazing vision. And on one hand, yeah, we want to blame it on, on budget, but it's not only budget. Mm. It also has to do with um, the notion that some of these Western countries are not granting visas to many people the way they do to people from countries like ours, for example. And and yeah. and that was a big slap in the face. Cannes was a big slap in the face. Toronto, New York Film Festival, our premiere in New York, all these things were huge slaps in the face. London, we tried. BFI, we tried. Yeah. We tried to bring our cast. We always tried to bring our cast. It was exhausting to try and once again be like, well, I guess it's us. That's astounding, isn't it? It's astounding that that I know from touring, here's, here's the boxes you have to tick to get a visa, to be allowed in, to prove that you're bringing something unique, so on and so forth. You're literally the people in this film that has a huge screening at this huge film festival, mm-hmm. and yet the boundaries are put up and the and the question marks are there. It makes yeah. you even more aware of how impossible it is for anyone else yeah. from these countries, from these from or from 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 similar countries. Yeah. That's something I hadn't even cons- considered. Mm. But that's yeah, that's my Yeah, people don't consider it, but it's such a violence. I mean, it's the violence of those borders that have been determined by certain people for their own interest. And it's like redundant it's it, it it never ends those are things that we have difficulties to imagine even with the migration immigration crisis etc etc all that that thing that is natural to humans i guess which is movement is yeah, one of yeah. the first thing to be um controlled and distributed as a privilege um so 
we went through that. But then to talk to, to what you were saying, it I think every film is made to say, look at what is there. I think, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. of course it's all, etc. And and it's 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 really interesting to have artists making a film uh coming from different backgrounds and just directing, etc. But yeah, every film, every films actually are like, wow, look at how we see those talents telling that story. And I think it's not different for Neptune Frost. It's the film that is um aiming at being a, an epic film where you are as amazed by those actors that you don't know than you could be uh, two actors that you know, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that yeah, was an important thing for us, actually, was that we, it was important to populate the film with with actors that, that people would be introduced to, you know? Yeah. That was exciting, which made the, the process of funding the film and all that a, perhaps a little more difficult where, you know, the traditional Hollywood way, you know, is to find that lead actor that's an A-list that can, you know, secure the funding for production and blah, 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 blah. You know, recognizable names and what have you. But yeah. But it was yep. to say that, yep, yep. yeah, that, that you know, it's, it's nice to open doors, you know, to new talents. I mean, I understand the industry need to secure their, their you know, their finances, I don't know if I understand really completely, but however, it's like that. <laughs> but I think it's also important to to continue to nourish and regenerate art. You cannot just use and reuse and you, you know, you, you have to, 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 I don't know, to make new propositions um, for art to continue to be alive and, and necessary and meaningful. It's, it's so important. And just hearing that, talking to you guys back in December was such an important thing to hear at that time for me because I've got a few projects I'm trying to work through. And as you say, I think one of the things that's all kind of implied was this was a film that was made almost outside of the film industry, <laughs> almost w- 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 without traditional involvement of the film industry in that you will normally, as you say, have to have your recognisable names to, to to get your investment and so on and so forth. This was about the project. So I guess with all of the work it took, and I'll start to wrap things up now, how was it to start getting these amazing reviews and to to see that people understand what you were trying to do and got what you were trying to do and you've achieved what you were trying to do? Because again, it's been beautiful just following on the socials now and seeing different awards being in like New York Times end of year lists and things like that. How was that to to go, right, <laughs> you probably all thought we were crazy, but <laughs> look, <laughs> here's what we were trying to say to you. Here's what we were trying to tell you. It was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's so cool to feel um to feel that people get it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful feeling because it's a film that we really made in the spirit of sharing. Of it, it's a lot about sharing. It's a lot about giving and receiving. And when it's received, it's 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 super cool. <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. I love it. Without a doubt. You know, and I would just add to that, that, you know, there's a part of me that always felt like the people would love it. The fight was was always to get to the people, 
Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so it's the biggest fight in the, the film industry fight, now because know? of because of what film has become as yeah. as such a machine. And again, I love a blockbuster. Mm. I, I I love a big film as mm. well, but I don't think they should be the only things that exist, and I don't yeah. think they should be only things that we have an option yeah. to go and see and to watch. You know, but you know what's cool too is that when you feel people like getting the film, also you feel that they are kind of messaging something. They, they want to say something about about that yeah. about no yeah. there is not only like big blast big bug blasters and and planes and I don't know how many millions and billions of dollars that can make a story a story is nothing a story is a dream a yeah. story is just you know you know and, and and it becomes that big thing because it's a you have big crews a lot of people working etc etc but it's at, at at the essence of it. It's nothing. It's wind. It's dream. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Well, to end things, this is going off on a complete t- t- tangent now. But you two are kind of two of the first people I've spoken to since this particular thing happened, and it's a sad thing. But I want to talk about the positivity. I want to quickly end by talking about the impact and importance of Delasol because um, Plug Two uh, passed away recently. Dave, the first the, the first person I collaborated with as a as a, a rapper was Plug One, and it meant oh, that wow. we did a few shows over the years with Dela, and they welcomed us as if they were completely unaware that they genuinely changed the world. I genuinely feel Dela so are one of those acts that changed the world. Um, yeah. Well, can we? Yeah, yeah, can we talk for a little bit on on, on how glorious those guys are? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say that you're a hundred percent, a thousand percent right. They they did change the world for so many of us. What people may not realize is that De La Soul from from Amityville, Long Island, just like uh, you know, Public Enemy, for New Yorkers, those are people from the suburbs, and so for me. When I first heard De La Soul and Public Enemy spin hip-hop, I was also, as a young suburban Black kid who lived in the suburbs of New York City, going, oh, shit, here come the suburb kids. (laughs) (laughs) And and De La was so, you know, just, just vibrantly and flagrantly just like, Oh, I get it. I understand. This is what you do to look hard. I understand. This is what you do to intimidate people. Oh, it must be so hard on this street. But have you thought about this? What about if you flip the words this way? Have you thought about this? What if you flip it this way? Oh, you think I can't do what you're doing? I'm doing it this way and this way. I mean, like, what they represented for nerds, but not only nerds, because Everybody who didn't identify as a nerd had to give it up for Native Tongues, had to give it up for Dela, like they had to give it up for Tribe, like they had to give it up for Jungle Brothers. They had to. And of course, the children of that was was leaders of the new school, was Buster Rhymes, you know? Um, And no one can say that the imprint that they had and have on hip-hop did not you know, like we talk about Neptune Frost's film and what have you, right? For example, and 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 as we were working, we were questioning the role of narrative and and how to approach narrative. You know, why does every narrative have to take the same shape and form? 
you know, in respect of, you know, the 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 Western gaze and all this type of thing. Does a story have to start in the beginning? How how what how how what role does narrative play? De La Soul played the same game and raised these same questions in music, you know? That first album, those first singles, you know, plug tune in and potholes in my lawn. Oh, and then that second album, too, like that Oodles of O's, uh, you know, like the the ways in which they played, like they were like tap dancing lyrically on beats like, oh, I'm so at ease right now. Literally, you want to be gangster? Is that it? And it was so crazy what they were doing that it was gangster, that it was yeah. th- that there was nothing hard, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so. The only thing that was crazier than that was their humility, right? Because like you as a touring musician, I did shows with De La, you know, dozens of times. And they were always so nice. Yeah, I was intimidated and nerdy and fanboyish, whatever. But they, <laughs> they, they are, and, and, and it, you know, like sometimes you don't think about it too much. So of course I was hit like you were, you know, and Dave past, it was like, wait a second, wait, I I went back and listened and was like, wait, I've listened to this so much. Wait, there are so many things said here. There are so many perspectives held here that I still respect. Yeah. You know, they, they were so inclusive in their thinking. You know what I'm saying? They were so inclusive in Moni Love and Latifah and like, you know, like the women they brought into, you know, into the fold. The da, 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 da. They were they were so beautiful. They are, you know. And I can also say this is that they were the first. So, you know, I, I, I started reciting poetry in New York in the mid 90s. And um, and so we used to do open mics at a place called the Brooklyn Moon um, in in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And so, like, my first poetry reading there, it wasn't a poetry reading, it was open mic, and I signed up. I actually went last, but I met a lot of people there. And one of the people I met was Yasin Bey. Another person I met that night was Talib Kweli. Another person I met that night was Jessica Caramore. Another person I met that night was Mums the Schemer. There were so many amazing poets that have gone on to be amazing poets there from that moment. And I became really close with with those people. And I remember in, you know, maybe that same year, 95, going to a poetry reading that Yasin was having in his mother's basement. His mom had a beauty salon, a hair care place and uh, in downtown Brooklyn. And he was like, my mom's letting me hold a poetry reading um, in my basement um, next week, you, I'm going to put you on the list. You're going to do something, da, da, da. And guess what? DJ Mace agreed to DJ at the event. And so the Amazing. first, the first like kind of confirmation that we had as poets from the hip hop community was De La Soul. It was Mace going, yeah. these are dope. And you know who he brought with him? Wu-Tang. And so <laughs> in this little <laughs> basement poetry reading, and I remember uh, uh, Dead Prez was there. They weren't Dead Prez yet. And Black Star wasn't Black Star yet. But we were all there. But that was the first, for us, that was our first, like, mind-blowing little, like, famous rapper connection that, that like, verif- verified us, you know? Yeah. Was, yeah. was De La. As poets, we were like, oh, you're dope. You know, this is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. They they were there for us. And Wu-Tang was there that night too. And very much like, they gave us the first like 
professional head nod in the hip hop world, like, oh, we we like this, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, you know that they, they mean so much. But so, you know, yeah, I I just end by saying so much love to, you know, his family and 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 to Plug One and, and Plug Three and to Prince Paul and that whole crew. Yeah, they really um they represent something extraordinary that I I I don't even know. You know, like people will have to pull back and re-listen and go, because I think people confused and go, oh, that's just old school hip hop. But when if they yeah. do a deep dive, they'll yeah. hear styles of rapping that no one has repeated yet. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. That's a beautiful note to end on. Guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you as artists and as humans. So th- th- thank you for chatting. It's been It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much, so much for supporting Neptune Frost. You know, we we appreciate you for supporting us when we were in, you know, Kickstarter mode, you know, Mm -hmm. and as an associate producer and and you've lived up to your role. It's been so beautiful. So thank you so much. I love it. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. Number one, what did I tell you about that being just a mentally enriching episode? And number two, what did I tell you about that story at the end? That's a classic hip-hop anecdote, if ever I've heard one, that I've never heard anywhere else before. So that was amazing. And yeah, rest in peace, Dave. Plug two, Della Soul Forever. Yeah, I'll be back next week. I've recorded some really good episodes recently. I I recorded three over a space of three days, and all of them I came out of going, oh, this this is a good one, this is a special one. And I don't always, I know it sounds like I always do, but genuinely if you go and listen i've in, i've not had an episode i didn't enjoy and don't think is great but there's certain periods and, r- and runs where yeah they just seem really strong and this was as said i think as good as any any episode we've ever done so um yeah i hope you enjoyed that i'm rambling nonsensically i i, I do apologize i'll be back next week until then stay safe and stay sane ta-ta